You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. There's no honor among thieves or botnet herders either. Reaper still seems quiet. Macroless malware is a problem, according to Microsoft. Researchers show you can hack an airliner's avionics. The maritime shipping sector worries that Merck's experience with NotPetya isn't just a one-off. Ether, the cryptocurrency, is disappearing into the ether. And we congratulate this year's Cynet 16. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Thursday, November 9th, 2017. There's no honor among thieves, and unfortunately, sometimes that's a bad thing for the rest of us. According to a report in Bleeping Computer, researchers at New Sky Security discovered one hacker who realized that the hype and fear surrounding the Reaper botnet, call them script kitties or wannabes or skids or whatever other leet-speak terms of contempt you'd care to apply, to look for ways of ringing the bell on the Reaper gravy train. So the criminal who saw opportunity here, perhaps we can call him a metacriminal, wrote some PHP script designed to attract skids who wanted to scan for IoT devices vulnerable to being roped into a Reaper-like botnet. That script, however, was backdoored. It would indeed scan for you, but it was also backdoored, so that any hood who used it would get his version of Reaper, but that little Reaper would in turn be roped into the metacriminal's own big Chitin botnet. So not good news for the skids, but also not good news for the rest of us who might be irritated by a big botnet. The Reaper botnet, by the way, is still keeping itself quiet, apparently. Not many signs of activity, but it's still out there. We've heard, and it bears repeating, that Microsoft has warned of macro-less malware. This malware that exploits a recently discovered vulnerability in the company's dynamic data exchange, DDE, protocol... The approach is troubling because even if users take the precaution of not enabling macros, exploitation of DDE can still affect them through Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, or Outlook files. And of course, one threat actor using this attack vector in the wild is Russia's GRU, Military Intelligence Service, which you'll know as our old acquaintance, Fancy Bear. Concerns about the vulnerability of transportation modalities to hackers continues to rise, A team of researchers drawn from industry, universities, and the U.S. government has demonstrated the possibility, in a non-laboratory environment, as they say, of hacking a Boeing 757 airliner. The demonstration is troubling because the hack didn't require physical access to the aircraft. The researchers were able to establish remote presence in non-cooperating systems. And the systems they got into weren't just in-flight entertainment stuff, but the avionics the electronic systems that control the aircraft. There are also concerns at sea. These aren't based on a demonstration, but rather on experience in the wild. Many in the maritime shipping sector now believe that shipping giant Maersk's experience with NotPetya pseudo-ransomware demonstrates that merchant vessels are clearly vulnerable to cyber attack and that the industry needs to up its cybersecurity game. One series of mishaps at sea, the collisions the U.S. Navy has been involved with in the Western Pacific over the course of the past year, has proven not to be cyber-related. Many observers, and not a few admirals, thought there were too many collisions for coincidence, and the Navy initially entertained fears that its ships had been hacked, but investigation hasn't borne this out. The U.S. Navy has reached the painful conclusion that the accidents weren't induced by cyber-attacks, but rather by an erosion of seamanship. 
Not every problem is a cyber problem. We're down in Washington today for the annual Cynet Showcase. The Cynet 16 are being recognized today. We'll have a full report on our website after the conference's conclusion. In the meantime, you can follow conference-related tweets with the hashtag CynetDC. And our congratulations to this year's Cynet 16, innovative companies who've won recognition for new solutions and new approaches to those challenges and trends. They are, in reverse alphabetical order, Vertru, Versive, Veridin, VArmor, Twistlock, Threat Quotient, ProtectWise, Prevoti, Phantom, Pattern X, Menlo Security, iProve, Infosec Global, Haystacks Technology, Fireglass, and Centripetal Networks. Well done, all. Accidental code deletion has rendered a lot of Ether digital currency, about 214 million pounds, inaccessible, perhaps frozen, perhaps gone. So watch out. You don't want your ether to disappear into the ether. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Uh, Justin, great to have you back. We want to sort of take stock today, and and I wonder, are we gaining on the problem here? It seems like we're spending billions of dollars every year on cybersecurity, and I don't really get the sense that we're gaining on the problem. Yeah, no one likes taking vitamins or or working out. At least I don't. <laughs> I think that uh, what we're encountering here, uh, and and I'm seeing a, a really big growing trend of companies that are failing the basics. 
And what I mean by failing the basics here is is to do the stuff that no one really likes to do. It's the grunt work. It's mm. the um, knowing where your sensitive data is in your HVAs, your high-value assets. It is and, – and I got to tell you, Dave, just that, that sentence alone, knowing what your assets are – for the multi-billion dollar companies is is nearly a whole team's responsibility is making sure that they understand the digital assets within the organization. And then on top of that, even if you did know where all of your data, uh, your sensitive data lives and where it's traversing and ensuring that it's being uh, securely communicated, then you've got to know what applications and what uh, what versions all of those are on. And then, of course, on top of that, you've got to be able to synthesize and curate and monitor the open source. So when Microsoft releases a new patch or Oracle releases a new patch for a web server, you've got to be able to know that that's been released. You've got to know if it affects you and then what the net effect of that is uh, within the business. Because as you know, security does not own the operational responsibility for applications and operating systems typically. These are the basics that companies are struggling with. I, I think that some of the companies today and organizations that are doing security are getting a little bit, uh, they're losing focus because they see these new savior technologies like AI and machine learning and the ability to automate a lot of things. But if you're not doing the basics, if you're not, if you don't know where your sensitive data is and where it's traversing and or your assets uh, and the ability to keep them patched and and monitored, then then how can you move toward automating that? Is this a matter of, of uh, properly setting priorities? Yeah, I think that one of the 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 patterns that I see a lot is the board gives the C-suite the funding. And then, of course, the C-suite is comprised of CEO, CFO, chief risk officer, and then the CIO, the chief information officer. And I've seen a pattern develop where if the CISO uh, reports in uh, to the CIO and there's not a, a really good partnership there, the CIO's job is to foster innovation, to manage the information flow within a corporation, and to, in many times, reduce expenses or reduce the overhead. And security is, is seen as one of those um, cost pockets, if you will, uh, or cost sinks that the CIO, he or she could say, well, you know, I have a, I'm trying to fund security, but it's, it's never ending. They always need more money and I'm not really reducing my expenses. I think that one of the ways that we've been successful at Accenture is working with the board and working to get them to understand the risks and the threats on a macro level and to understand that security, cyber defense, security, information security, not only should be taken seriously, but it can have a direct effect uh, to the bottom line, to the customers, et cetera. And once you get the board bought into this model, they are then able to then task the C-suite and it, and it cascades down even to the lower levels around compliance, budgeting, and at least having a much better understanding of the risks associated with not properly funding the security team. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? 
With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is David Barzilai. He's the executive chairman at Caramba Security, a company that provides endpoint security for connected cars. I began our conversation by asking him about the mixed blessing of cars becoming, more and more, networks of small computers connected to the Internet. So, first of all, the benefit is fantastic. For us as consumers, it means that cars are far more convenient being connected. We can uh, browse the web, we can download, uh, we can make phone calls from the car, and so on and so forth. When cars are self-driven, then it makes it even better because we could uh, we we are less exposed to safety risks when uh, we do not see uh, someone crossing in front of us. The car will stop by itself. But the problem is that we have this kind of like a uh, consistent pattern that when systems become connected, they also become target for hackers. Give me an idea what's going on underneath the hood in cars. Are there standard uh, operating systems um, independent of the brand of cars, or is there a variety similar to how there are various desktop operating systems? Um, How do car manufacturers choose what's going to be running um, underneath the hood? That's an excellent question. So first of all, cars are... um somewhat complex. They are complex by virtue that what we have is we have a uh, several, it's called ECUs, meaning uh, electronic uh, control units. These are small embedded systems that each one of them, each one of these ECUs is responsible for different functionality of the car. So when we steer the steering wheel, in essence, we make the ECU of the steering wheel turn the the wheels to the right or to the left. Same goes with the windshield wipers, same goes with the infotainment, the airbags, telematics, meaning the GPS, and anything like that. So what do we have? We have in each car a uh, network of about 100 ECUs, 100 of those embedded systems. Each one of them is responsible for a different functionality of the car, and they're all connected. That means if I hack into one of those ECUs, in essence, I have access to all others. Those small controllers run either, it's called real-time operating system schedulers, Those that are more heavy, those that run the infotainment system, which is the entertainment, the radio, if you may, Mm -hmm. the GPS, the gateway of the car. So they run operating systems that they're very familiar with. They run Linux. They run QNX. So what you see is a network of about 100 controllers. Each one of them is responsible for a different functionality of the car. They are all connected And each one of them is running an operating system or a scheduler. That means that when we look at the car 
as the target for cyber hack, then the idea is that some of those 100 ECUs are externally connected. They have connectivity. And, uh, and not too many of them, by the way. It's about four to five. But the point is that those externally connected controllers, once compromised, hackers could use the network connectivity from these gates to the car and get into the safety systems of the car. This is how, um, with quite a famous example, the uh, infotainment system was hacked and then the car went overly crazy. Uh, the windshield wipers started to go on and off. The, um, the radio volume went out of control. And then eventually the car they, was halted on the middle of the highway. Help me understand here, because in this case, I mean, this was a vehicle that was being sold. It was on the streets. And, I mean, surely the vehicle manufacturer would have got, would have taken that vehicle through various safety uh, tests and, and would have, um, you know, try, had, had the software tested to make sure that, that these sorts of things couldn't happen. When they shipped this vehicle, they, they thought that this was a safe vehicle. It turned out to not be the case. You're right. They had a very good reason to assume it's a safe vehicle because every car goes through rigorous quality assurance tests, including safety tests, and now also cybersecurity tests. The problem is what hackers are doing is to exploit security bugs. So the bottom line is that unfortunately, there are always bugs. Always some of those security vulnerabilities escape us. They're hidden. They cannot be uncovered with even the most rigorous uh, quality assurance test. And this is what hackers are looking for. The good thing is that car manufacturers are gearing up to the risk and to addressing it. So the idea is that almost every, actually all car, car companies, at least those that we are aware of, all of them have integrated in-house security teams. Secondly, they also do what's called pen testing, which is penetration testing for the car. So they try to raise the bar. In addition, we also have the government. So we have NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration. NHTSA published about a year ago, something like that, some guidelines of what should be done. But you're right that cybersecurity is not part Currently, it's not part of the five-star safety system hmm. or the safety ranking. One of the reasons for that is that cybersecurity risks have just started. That's the first reason. The second reason is that uh, unlike consumer products, meaning uh, laptops or uh, mobile phones, where we as consumers bear the liability for protecting our own devices, here vendors, that's a good thing, vendors, the providers see themselves as liable. So they're putting money, they're trying to uh, embed cybersecurity software and hardware into the new generation of cars. And they also, um, with the intent to make it seamless for us as uh, consumers. That's David Barzilai. He's from Caramba Security. And that's the CyberWire. 
We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.